Ah, hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors, wherever you are in the world. I do hope you're having a good day. Ah, welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Ah, this is episode 85, where I had the immense pleasure of having uh, Tony Lloyd on the podcast today. He is a former a Fortune 500 executive and leadership development expert. Uh, also, I've got to say he is a podcast a veteran of uh, some 290 eight podcasts and yeah i believe he hosts uh three other podcasts as well uh yeah he was a joy to speak to and yes we talked about many different aspects of leadership uh among around the world today so please uh sit back enjoy the show and yeah have an excellent day take a moment to subscribe and yeah be awesome hey Ah, hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors, wherever you are in the world. I hope you're having a good day. Ah, welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. This is episode 85, where I have the immense pleasure to have Tony Lloyd on today. He is a former uh, Fortune 500 executive and a leadership and development expert. Uh, How are you today, sir? I am fired up and ready to go. Oh, that's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. Uh, yeah, I just got to say thank you very much for coming on the show today. It is immense pleasure. Uh, yes, uh, being a leadership expert, I just wanted to sort of like talk about uh, how you see the things with regards to leadership over the next sort of 12 to 18 months, seeing right. as we are slowly creeping our way out of lockdown globally. Right. Right. You know, uh, so a few things. Let me just start by saying I recognize that people are going to be hearing this at a future date. Mm. Right. And so they're going to know more about the future than I do. (laughs) And and, uh, but also I want to acknowledge that we are, as you and I are sitting here recording, we are about your one year anniversary of launching day in and day out. And so I just wanted to acknowledge you and the work that you're doing and say happy anniversary and congratulations and you're knocking it out of the park. Oh, thank you, sir. Much respect. Yeah. Well, um, so leadership development, it's a, it's an interesting thing. I, I put, because I'm a speaker and I listen to other coaches and stuff, uh, I put leadership development expert as kind of a lead tagline because they, they said, look, you, you need to niche yourself and just say, what's the thing that you do better than anything else that you do. Um, and, and so one of the things about being a leader, um, how do you know whether or not you are a leader? So what is a leader? Let's just start with that. And, and so are you leading a team? Are you leading a large organization? Are you leading yourself? I mean, what does that look like? Um, so let me, let me pause that for a second, put that off to the side and let me go to something else. I once went to a writing conference where, you know, people who are writing books and stuff and, um, and the, the speaker at that conference said, look, writers, people who write, writers, are the only people in the world who say, am I really a writer? I don't know if I'm a writer. Am I, you know, have I published enough? Could I really call myself a writer? And he said, you want to know how you're a writer? Writers write. If you write, you are a writer. So let's take now and bring leadership back over here. How do you know if you are a leader? Leaders lead. That's, That's how you know you are a leader. And so my life and career 
has really been about facilitating the growth of others. And that can look a lot of different ways, but the place that I have found a niche, a place where I have had a lot of traction has been around developing people who need to transition from uh, individual contribution that I am accomplishing things in the world, I am making an impact to I am accomplishing things and making an impact through others that I don't have to do all the stuff, right? So, so that's one thing about leadership. Um, the other thing that I will say, you said, uh, you know, in our current state in the world, well, when people are listening to this, this is going to be around November 6th, somewhere in that range, right? Yeah. Uh, the U.S., I'm in the United States, the U.S. election will have just taken place. And I have no idea what that world is going to look like because we are living in unprecedented times here in the United States. I mean, as a, you know, UK, as a friend of the United States, we're both watching each other. And like, you know, when you guys started down the Brexit path, we're over here like, really? What's going on over there? And then we elect the person we elect for president. You guys, seriously? Don't, don't talk to us about what's going on in the UK because you people have lost your mind. And so we don't know what's going to be happening in the world. But here's what we do know, that the world needs leaders. The, the world the, that um, we need a leaderful, we need a leaderful company that we're in where everyone feels this empowered to lead. And in a country like the UK or the US, we need people who feel empowered to lead. And whether that is leading through COVID-19, leading through political turmoil, leading through um, racial tension, leading through whatever those things are that are happening in the world, because we're living at this intersection of crazy things happening, you know, economic collapse, environmental collapse, uh, you know, COVID-19, uh, you know, uh, political turmoil, all these things. So the world really needs everyone to step up as leaders. So that, that was too long of an answer, but you know, that, that was just the stuff on my mind. Yeah, like this is the thing. One, like when you sort of like bring politics into it, I think, um, I don't, I've got this feeling, like I had this feeling about the UK for quite some time that it has been a poor, this is the poorest time I think it has been for political leadership uh, throughout the whole of the UK. But it seems to be, we're not the only ones suffering from that, if you get what I mean. Yeah. It seems to be like stateside, Europe, yeah. can, like Canada. Uh, yeah. But it seems like it's a thing which is affecting the whole world right now and highlighted more so even more today. Right, right. Yeah, uh, you know, um, I think that uh, the, the, there's, a, there's a thing in psychology called an extinction behavior. And so here's how, here's how an extinction behavior works. So you walk up to an ele elevator, Miwa, and you, uh, you, you push the button for the elevator and you stand there for a long period of time and the elevator doesn't come. So the next thing you would probably do is just push the button one more time to go, you know, okay, well, maybe I didn't get that firm. You're going to stand there for a little while longer. Elevator doesn't come. Elevator doesn't come. So you say to yourself, well, I'm going to have to go take the stairs. But right before you walk away from that elevator, there's a high probability what you're going to do is you're going to take that button for the elevator, for the lift, sorry, for the lift. And you are just going to pound that button. You just go, bam, 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 
right? And that behavior, that doing that thing that doesn't work one more time in a big way is called an extinction behavior. It's like this extinction burst, right? This extinction burst that we're going to do this thing that doesn't work and we're going to do it with all of our might mm. and then give up. And it feels to me a little bit like um, we have grown up in a world with strong male energy. And if I don't mind saying strong white male energy that has been in charge and, and that energy has only taken us so far. And, and in fact, one of the interesting things is something like 85% of the top selling business books in the world are written by white males, mostly Americans. And the white male American style only works for about 15% of the world. Mm. And, so, and so we have followed this sort of, you know, and I am a 61-year-old white male. So just full disclosure, that's who I am. And you have a book. And I have a book, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and what I'm saying is that I have had all the sunshine of the world, right? So my yep. entire life the spotlight of the universe has been shown on my being, on my way of being, on who I am, et cetera. And so that has only taken us so far. And now there is this extinction behavior, this burst of right-wing, uh, nationalistic, angry, you know, whatever kind of power that it, that is showing up in the world. And my hope is that this is that extinction burst, that, that last gasp of the dinosaurs and young people and uh, people of all kinds of diverse backgrounds are coming up and the world is growing into something better. But it's painful to pass from that current state to the evolved state and we are in that birth canal right now we are we are going through some pain some birth pains right now uh and i do believe that we're seeing that all over the world and that is one of the reasons that i obsess a little bit about leadership mm, mm. so extinction level events uh basically the old part the old guard passing to the new as they will um yeah. uh, the real last gasp of discomfort until you've come into your new form. Like, so with that, it's, would you say that same thing is happening in the realms of business as well? Because... I, I would, I would, you know, one of the things that happens is, um, uh, uh, I can't, um, give me a second. Nielsen, Nielsen t did a survey a few years ago mm. and they asked these questions and they said, um, would you, as a consumer, would you pay a little bit more for a product or service that has a positive social and environmental impact? Mm. And uh, among all of the people they surveyed, it was something like 60% of the people said, yeah, I would. And that followed by the question, but here's the important part, followed by the question, in the last 30 days, have you actually made that decision? Have you bought the slightly more expensive item versus the less expensive item because of the environmental impact and that 60%, that's how they ended up with 60% who said yes to both of those questions. However, among the younger people in the survey, the numbers were, depending on how, how low in the age groups you go, 72% for the younger 
And then even younger than that, 85% for the youngest who said, I want to buy things that have a social and or environmental positive impact. Um, then they talked to investors, people who invest in companies. And they found that more than 50%, so the majority of people who invest say they want not just a financial return on investment, but they also want a social benefit return on investment. Um, and customers want to buy from, employees want to work for, and investors want to invest in companies that do social good, that have a positive net impact. And so that is a trend that has been growing. Um, there are all these investment instruments where you can find the ESG, the environmental, social, and governance uh, scores of companies, and you can invest specifically in those kinds of companies. There are all these different instruments that are out there today to help you to find and to connect with companies that do social good. And that is a growing trend and will continue to grow because employees are sick of working for companies that just grind them into dust and then leave them for dead. You know, um, yeah. uh, customers are tired of buying things and then worrying about their, their environmental impact. And investors are tired of investing in companies that, you know, they, they make lots of profit, but then they don't, um, th then they, they rape the earth in order to make those profits. And so, you know, I think that is the growing trend. I think that's the direction that humanity is going right now. Yes. Uh, when was this Nielsen uh, survey taken? Uh, uh, well, I, I saw a couple of them in uh, tw 2013 and then later in 2018. Mm. Uh, so they must be doing it about every five years. Uh, but um, yeah, so, so those are the ones that I saw. Yeah, because I'll be very interested to see what the sort of mindset would be right about now because yeah. uh, um, tw like 2008, okay, 2013, when the planet was definitely rocking in good times. Uh, definitely, uh, I remember uh, we've got, oh, what's his name? We've got a comedian over here. Uh, what's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Scottish comedian. He is like, he has a mouth like a sailor. And <laughs> yes, he'll definitely say some risque things. Uh, I think it was around about 2008. He was like, going, yeah. It goes, yeah, ah, oh, eco-friendly this and eco-friendly chickens and everything like this. But when times are hard, it does, like that budget chicken all of a sudden becomes very appealing. And yeah, the only thing he's yeah. thinking about is the light of the oven coming on. So I'm just right. a little bit curious as like, you know what I mean, pressure uh, right. from like what the job market might be in about a month's time or two yeah. months time, what right. their sort of thoughts would be then. Yeah. So meanwhile, I think, um, I think you've hit on something there. You know, there are financial pressures that, uh, that cause people to make decisions that they don't want to make, right? So, you know, no one ever uh, grew up saying, I want to be in middle management, right? <laughs> you know, no, no one ever grew up to say, you know what I want to do? I just want to go to lots of meetings and take notes and not have time to go do anything because I have more meetings to go to, right? No one ever grew up saying, I want to do that. And the same way, you know, if I, if I were given a choice, if I had a living wage and I could afford to live where I wanted to live, or if I could afford to buy the food that I want to buy, then I would do, make those decisions. You know, um, just real quickly, there's a, uh, there's a book and it's called uh, Switch 
uh, and it's uh, how how to change things and when change is hard. And it's by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. So Switch is the name of the book, Chip Heath and Dan Heath. Um, and right at the beginning, in chapter one, they tell the story about some experimenters. And what happened was the experimenters had, um, uh, they went to a movie theater and when people walked in, they go, hey, you know what? You don't have to buy popcorn or a soda or a, uh, however you say it, you know, uh, pop, soda, however. Uh, you don't have to buy a soft drink uh, because we're going to give you popcorn and a soft drink. Here it is for free. Each member of your family, everybody gets their own individual popcorn and individual soft drink. And then they sent people off in the audience. And the, the only agreement was when you leave the theater, just fill out this survey card, right? So people go in, they eat their popcorn, they come back out, they leave. Now, it was a trick. And here's the trick. The trick was that they had popped this popcorn five days earlier. And this popcorn is stale and nasty and rank. And like when you chew on it, it squeaks on your teeth because it's just not pleasant popcorn. And some of the people they gave very large buckets of popcorn to, and some of the people they gave medium-sized buckets of popcorn. And when they went back into the theater, then they weighed every container to see how much popcorn each person had consumed. And what they found was the people with a larger bucket of popcorn ate 56% more than the people with the medium-sized popcorn bucket. And it wasn't that it was better. You know, neither one of them continue, uh, finished all the way to the bottom, bottom of the bucket. Yeah. It's just that because the environment was set up in such a way that that drove their behavior. And I think as a country, as a culture, as a society, the way we set things up determines how people behave. So if you don't pay a living wage and people are, are starving, even though they're working two or three jobs, if you, if you have a part of society that is failing, you have set up a big bucket of popcorn where they're, you know, they're just going to do behaviors that are not good. And so I think we all want to buy better, do better, all that. There are times when the environment doesn't allow us to do that. But given an even playing field, we will make positive choices. Mm. Yeah, like, because this is the thing. It's kind of like there's talks of flight, like economic flight going like from major big cities. Like um, yeah. London is mostly going to be suffering from that uh, yeah. quite considerably because I think working practices, which should have been 10 years in the works to come through, remote work and everything like that. Well, that has just been fast forwarded up to present day and businesses are looking at it in a slightly different way. And I would say over in the States, a lot, like one of the states uh, which has been really highlighted about people moving away from it is California. And we're like sort of that economic flight just because um, it, the change of environment, the change of circumstances, right. which right. come into play, and right. what you said about yeah, people working two like two free jobs just to basically try to keep their head above water. Right. Yeah, it's not it's not going to be a conducive no. thing for long term survival. No. No. 
No, you're right. And, uh, you know, I think uh, we're seeing that here in the United States, you know, like New York City, it's kind of emptying out. Can you imagine, you know, the economic turmoil that we're heading into? Imagine that you have built your li livelihood by making high rise buildings in London or New York or whatever mm -hmm. to pack people into. And now people are like, I'm not going to live in a high rise building in the middle of a crowd, you know? And so now you own all these high rise buildings. Think what a business disruption that is. Um, think about all the people who built office buildings and have invested their entire fortune in packing people into cubicles in office buildings. And people are starting to say, you know what? I can do the same thing from my house near the lake and I can get the same work done. Um, now, keep in mind, of course, everything that I'm saying about that comes from a position of privilege, right? Yeah. I mean, no, no one can uh, do your local dry cleaning from the lake house, right? So, yeah. uh, so, you know, there are lots of things where there are essential workers, healthcare workers, garbage collectors, everybody who has a hands-on job, um, you know, the people who produce meat in the meatpacking houses, whatever that is. They can't do that remote. They can't do that over Zoom. Mm. Um, but it is going to completely reshape our economies. And, 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 you know, you mentioned during hard times, we make these bad choices, right? So I might buy the cheap, nasty chicken instead of the expensive organic chicken, right? Mm. Uh, we are right now in a position to say, uh, if you understand this term, control, alt, delete, to our um, to our uh, economy, right? We have a we are in a position where we can now say reset. So, what does the new economy look like? What does the new world look like? If the old world doesn't work, the new world has to work. And so, what do leaders do in that situation? Mm. Like yeah, so, like uh, like yeah, that is going to be an interesting one because like I know through. Um, where I'm, where I'm furloughed from, how it was going, it was like, this is the sort of day-to-day -day working routine. You came in, I had to hit my KPIs and, yep. and basically in, out, no problem. Like, yeah, the, like the traditional one to two hour meeting you have once a week, which you're like going, okay, I've spoken for five minutes, please let me get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But yeah, um, the sort of adjustments uh, which people have had to make, uh, where, especially when it's gone into lockdown, how to sort of approach teams and how to sort of keep people motivated, keep them going. It's yeah. been somewhat of a strange one. And like I, I was furloughed quite early, but I sort of still did uh, the sort of daily huddle. I don't yeah. like, like, when I say huddle, that's like a daily meeting for anyone who right, right, knows. Right. Uh, like, and yeah, it was kind of strange seeing how they were trying to keep people motivated because it was, it was a very strange time. Now we're moving on a bit. Um, it'll be interesting to see when people sort of get back into that work frame, how they can motivate people who are still currently in the team or people who join from other companies because no one's actually doing that face to face or combined meeting at people, yeah. not less if it's over Zoom. Yeah. No. So, yeah. So, yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, I, I could jump in with the next thought, but I wanted to give you a chance to guide the conversation here and take it to the place where you'd like to go. 
No, like this is the thing. No, please add, <laughs> like, add a thought if you need to add a thought because, like, yeah, if I've triggered something within you, yeah, yeah. I'd like, I'd love to hear it because I. All right, well, I'm let's, let's press on then. You know, yeah. one, one of the one of the things that, um, uh, so you know, you're talking about work and about how hmm. we think about work, and so one of the one of the experiments I did a few years ago, I reached out to my friends on social media and I said, look, if you were alone in a room with your best mate and no one else was around and they leaned in close to you and they just said, how is your job going? But you only were allowed one word to finish a sentence. Work is what? What, what one word would you put in there? And so I put that on social media and said, hey, you know, you can either respond to me publicly here on this post or you can direct message me. And so people started responding back and about 50-50, you know, people were either saying, oh, I'm knocking it out of the park, I'm crushing it, it's wonderful, I'm just doing this wonderful thing. Or they were saying, it's miserable, I hate it, oh my God, you know, put me out of my misery, you know. Uh, and there was almost like nothing in between those two things. But those were the public responses, right? So when people would email me or they would direct message me, the words were something like 98% negative words. Mm. So, you know, it's confusing, it's chaotic. Uh, somebody said it's soul crushing. But the number one response I got from everybody again and again was this one word. They said work is crazy because it's just this mad thing that we do, <laughs> this insane thing that we do. Uh, and and uh, I also saw this study that said in, in the United States, and it could be different in the UK, but in the United States, 36% of our daily life in, um, during the work week, um, so Monday through Friday, 36% of our time is spent either in sleeping or in personal grooming. So getting ready for work or you're asleep, right? And then 37% of our time is, is spent in work or work-related activities. And so that means that during a work week, two-thirds, 66-plus percent of your time is spent either sleeping or at work. And so we say we want to live a meaningful life. Mm. But the way you spend your time is the way you spend your life. And so if two thirds of your time is either asleep or working, then if you want to live a meaningful life, you have to bring meaning to your work. And so I think that's an important point that, um, you know, work is being disrupted right now. And so we have an opportunity to reimagine what employment looks like, what our work looks like, what our companies look like, what our jobs look like, everything related to work, our careers, all of that. We are right now in a reset. And so why don't we individually as teams, as groups, why don't we choose differently the way that we're gonna move forward? So I think that's an important point that, that you know, when there is a crisis, there is also an opportunity. Mm. So I, I really, I really like this idea of uh, being able to, to choose differently in the things that we do. Yeah, right, because this is the thing, you, like, you went from Fortune 500, like, at being a Fortune 500 executive to doing what you're doing now. Like, yeah. 
so did you have that sort of epiphanal moment yourself? <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, um, my, my entire life, I really wanted to live um, a, a life of meaning and purpose, right? I mean, you know, from the time I was a little kid all the way up until today, um, you know, like I said, nobody ever said, I want to grow up and be a middle manager, right? That, that was never on anybody's life plan. And so I always was looking for ways to either bring meaning to the work that I was doing mm -hmm. uh, or to do something on the side, maybe, that gave me purpose and meaning. And so I would just use my job to fund little side things that I would do that had more meaning and purpose for me. Um, and so I was always looking for ways to balance those two things. And, but what I found was, um, Miwa, the, the higher up in a organization you go, the more you see um, the phrase, the phrase that's commonly used is how the sausage is made, right? Nobody wants to see how the sausage is made. And the higher up you go, the more you see this conflict between the shareholders who own stock in the company and the stakeholders, which might include the community, the environment, your employees, um, you know, uh, just your suppliers, how you live life in balance with all those things, the planet on which we live. I mean, how do you balance the, the needs of the shareholders to these other stakeholders? Mm. And what I, what I found was um, because of legal fiduciary responsibilities, we often made choices when there was a choice and trade-off to be made, we all, the shareholder always won. Give me a second here. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is getting a little rough here. <clears throat> All right, no worries at all. Um, yeah, so, so as, I, as I went up the corporate ladder, I began to see that more and more. Well, at some point, um, you know, I was being asked to do things that would benefit the shareholders, but would not benefit our communities or mm -hmm. would not benefit our society. And I, I just couldn't do that. I mean, that's not who I am. So then... Here, here's, the, here's the beauty of being a, a Fortune 500 executive is there's a thing called, um, uh, I think it's called a waterfall or a cascading or something like that, uh, bonus system, which means you earn your bonus today, but you only get paid if you're still with a company three years from now. And so you start collecting these bonuses and pretty soon in that pipeline, there is a significant amount of money that is in that pipeline that if you walk away from this company, you are walking away from, you know, I mean, some cash here. Yeah. <laughs> and so you have to make the decision, when is enough enough? And, and so I live this life of privilege that um, I, my wife and I are very frugal. We do not spend a lot of money. We, you know, uh, my car right now, I think my car is a 2006. Her car is a 2003. Uh, we don't drive them much, you know, so they're still in great shape. You know, so we don't spend a lot of money, which means we have a lot of savings and then we take those savings, we invest those savings and then, you know, we've grown it up. And so <clears throat> I'm not saying this is true for everybody, right? But for me, I finally hit this point where I said, this is enough. You know, if I, if I don't spend too much money at too fast of a rate, um, I, at the time I was 55 years old, mm -hmm. I said, I, I could just stop working now. And then, you know, if we're smart with our money and maybe have a couple little side hustles and some things that we do, we're going to be okay. And so that's what we did. Um, you know, my wife has been uh, off work. You know, she, she left work years ago. Uh, I was the last one still working. And so 
at the age of 55, and now I'm 61 today, so, so six years ago, I, I gave my, my, my boss and I had a conversation. He could tell that I was just like really bothered by everything that was happening. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, you know, it seems to me that you're not happy here. And I said, honest to God, I, it seems to me I'm not happy here. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, you know what? I'm going to give you a two-day notice. Today, I am going to leave. And, uh, and, you know, I didn't say that in a mean way, but we both knew. We both knew today's the day. This is it. Tony is done. So, you know, he helped me pack my office. We had some good jokes. Uh, you know, he told me, hey, let's have a beer next week and let's talk about everything that's happening and maybe you can help me turn over some documents or something. And, uh, and that was it. I just, you know, got my car and drove away and, and left my career behind. <clears throat> now, financially, that was a really hard decision to make, but it's a decision that I set myself up for 20 plus years ago when I started contributing to 401ks and, mm -hmm. and you know, my savings investment and, you know, company matching. And when we would get a big bonus, I wouldn't go out and buy something new. I just tuck that bonus away. You know, I might spend a little mad money. Um, but by doing that, by having that kind of discipline over a long period of time, I set myself up in a position where I could walk away. Now, again, I just want to acknowledge white, male, privileged, you know, not everybody else has that set of circumstances and set of choices, but I did. And so I left my corporate gig. I went off, I did something else and I'm doing something completely different. So in the words of Monty Python, and now for something completely different. <laughs> I would love to cut to a sketch, but that is not the kind of show. Yeah, no, but like, this is the thing, like, like six years ago, like, having the finances to then be able to walk away and like to go right to get your time yeah. like they get your time and that's um one of the most invaluable things in the world because i think anyone who's been on furlough and has not suffered anything ill of the big c as we'll call it um yeah ha like if like if over here, we've had a furlough scheme where you get paid 80% of your wage from yeah. 2,500. Right. And like, if you haven't suffered from any ill effects, you've had nothing but sort of time uh, to do what you want. Some people have sat at home and watched TV, Netflix, go up on every show they can, play yeah. computer games. Some people have been quite constructive from it. I, but I do fear that there's going to be some people who are going to look at this three to four months down the road, like thinking, I wasted a bit, a very good opportunity here. And I, like I say, I say this very well in the knowledge of the whole global pandemic and everything like this. And like, look, yeah. uh, I've been fortunate, but I still say there's going to be people who are going to be like going, I've missed the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have to have some grace for yourself, right? You know, one of the things that I did when I left my uh, Fortune 500 executive job is, you know, it, in that job, I worked like a maniac. I, you know, I'd work evenings. I was constantly on a flight going somewhere. You know, at one time, my wife and I were at a party uh, and they asked her, so where do you live? And she said, well, I live at this place but my husband lives at the uh, airport lounge, at the KLM lounge in Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam. That's where he lives, you know, <laughs> because I was, I was on the flights 
going somewhere all the time, you know. And so one of the mistakes I made was I took that go, go, go hard work lifestyle and I transferred it to my personal life uh, side hustle gigs, the things that I was working on as a person. And I honestly, I, I burnt myself out just, you know, I am the worst boss I've ever had. Right. Because, because I put expectations on myself. I wouldn't let myself off the hook. I'm like, you've got to change the world. You said you're going to change the world. Go change the world. Let's yeah. go. Come on, come on, come on. Right. And so everything. Tony, you got to do better than this. I've, I've put you some KPIs here. Don't you miss those targets, son. Don't you miss those targets. Don't you miss those targets. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, so I took this hustle and grind thing. And if you read anything about successful entrepreneurs, it's always, oh, it's hustle and grind, hustle and yeah. grind. Hustle and grind is a lie because hustle and grind will kill you. It will kill what oh. is important. So at some point you have to have, um, you know, we talk about work-life balance, but then, you know, I said well ago, 36% of our time is spent in sleep and personal grooming. 37% uh, of our um, time is spent in work and work-related activities. And if you're like I was, it wasn't just during the work week. It was work end, uh, weekends too. So, you know, you could do that to the point where uh, people talk about um, work-life balance. Well, if that's how your life is spent, if you the way you spend your time is the way you spend your life, you have to have purpose and meaning in that time. Mm. And so that's that's the transition I had to make in my own mind about how do I, um, you know, you can't pour from an empty vessel, right? So you have to practice self-care. Uh, and people who went out of their day-to-day -day grind and went into this COVID-19 pandemic, um, you know, we needed to have some grace for ourselves. We needed to let ourselves off the hook. We couldn't beat ourselves up because we hadn't learned five more languages or learned to play the guitar, right? We had to, we had to let some space in there for us to just sort of crash a little and feel it and experience it. And there has never been a better opportunity to create something, whether you're a course creator or you are working on a product or whatever the startup world might be, whether you're working on product or service or digital product or book or whatever, there's never been a better time to do that. And you could do that right now. Mm. Yes, indeed, indeed. No, I'm liking that. Like, no, like this is the thing. Uh, yes, I, I think I, there's some other things I need to sort of get started myself. But yeah, uh, all in all, uh, I think I'm doing okay for now. Yeah. Uh, but I'm definitely going to up my game. Uh, I have to ask, like, yeah, you, like, when it comes to the whole realm of podcasting, you are a bit of a podcast veteran, something like <laughs> 298 episodes and rising. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I produce three different uh, podcasts. So uh, one of them is called Social Entrepreneur. Yeah, uh, and there we we tell positive stories from underrepresented voices focused on solutions. And so, you know, uh, depending on when people hear this, the, any episode I might mention will be you know months in the past. But um, you know, the other day I had a conversation with a woman who she um, she was uh, a, a young mom with a long to do list, uh, lots of things to get done. And every 15 minutes, she found herself jumping in her car and running over to the store and buying more baby rompers or stuff. You know, she had two small children at home. 
Or, you know, hey, no problem. She could just stay at home and use her laptop and somebody was going to drop a box off at her door. But she began thinking about the environmental impact of all that behavior mm. of, of, you know, not just not just the shipping and all those things, but also of the production of textiles. And so textiles, uh, you know, they put about 10% of the global greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. Uh, you know, they're, they're responsible for water consumption. They're responsible for toxins going into the uh, systems. And a lot of them are produced using, you know, very low wage labor in places and, and keeping people suppressed in poverty. So she, she was like, I'm raising babies. Do I really want to, you know, contribute to the, to the destruction of their future? Mm. So what she did was she created a company called Rent a Romper. And so it's for um, ages zero through four toddler or something like that. And you can sign up for a subscription and she will send you, uh, you know, a capsule of, you know, everyday wear for the sizes and you get to say, you know, my daughter doesn't like to wear flowers or, you know, my son uh, only wears red or whatever the thing is, you know, and so you get to choose. And so she reuses and recycles those things. And she said, on average right now, each item that she has that goes out and then comes back has been through four families already. And so it's like a community closet for uh, you know, parents who have uh, infant through size four toddler. And, and so she is making an impact by what she sells and how she sells it. Uh, and so, you know, I don't even know how I got started down that path, but okay. So social entrepreneur, that is one of the uh, podcasts I do. I also have one called Thrive Connect Contribute, where I'm talking to people who are thriving in life, connecting with others and contributing to the world in the face of adversity. And so that's been very interesting to hear how different people are saying, okay, um, you know, I, uh, I talked to a guy the other day, he was, um, you know, uh, he was probably uh, middle teens when he started going blind and eventually lost his eyesight and then, um, you know, lost his livelihood. And then, you know, how did he reinvent his life based on that? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so there are all these stories around that. And then the last one I'm doing now is uh, in the U.S., and it will probably be wrapping up about the time that people hear this episode, uh, but it is uh, called Anti-Racist Voter. And so uh, Ibram X. Kendi wrote a great book called How to Be an Anti-Racist. Mm -hmm. uh, I live in the Minneapolis-St. Paul uh, area. And so George Floyd died here. Uh, and as a privileged white male, I'm like, what do I do about this in a way that doesn't center and focus on me? Mm. And so I've been talking to people about how they can use their vote to, uh, to support anti-racist policies. Uh, and anti-racist people and anti-racist candidates. And, and what's really interesting is, so for example, on this one, um, I talked to someone the other day who is a county commissioner. And like, you know, many people here in the US, you start voting your way down the ticket and you get down to like, you know, your, your president and, you know, Senate and Congress, and then you just like leave the rest of it blank. But the county commission in our county here controls a $2.6 billion budget. And they get to decide how much do we spend on police enforcement and how much do we spend on mental health care? 
And, and so by knowing the impact that your vote can have and who the candidates are and what positions they're taking on these different issues, you can have a tremendous impact. Like I said, the big bucket of popcorn of yep. stale popcorn will make you behave in a certain way. If you want a different kind of popcorn or a different kind of bucket, you have to make that decision. And so your vote makes a tremendous amount of uh, uh, difference in that. So, so those are the three different podcasts that I run and for different reasons. And again, too long of an answer. Sorry about that. No, no, no. Like I'm just, I'm quite surprised with the sort of county uh, having a budget of 2.6 uh, billion. Uh, like, yeah. like, this is the thing. Well, for me, uh, I, can't, I should be a little bit ignorant to sort of uh, U.S. politics and how that goes being in the U.K. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if that's sort of really sort of common knowledge uh, throughout uh, states, if you get what I mean. If that's yes. yeah. one of the things where our uh, president and working your way down, that how important your vote is for how much impact it will have on your local community. Right. Yeah. Like, now, um, now I've got to say, um, calling upon my cosmic powers, like, yes, if I could grant you one wish, uh, mm. what would that be? Holy cow. Um, I, you know, there's an old song, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I think, you know, the, the whole idea of, um, you know, I'm, I'm old enough that I remember when there were hippies running around and, you know, Woodstock took place and, you know, um, uh, we were protesting Vietnam and, and all that. Now, I was, I was a young lad when all that stuff was happening, but I still remember that time and I'm still, you know, like I consider myself, a, you know, an older hippie here, you know, mm. um, and I think that one of the things that made them powerful, so think about uh, you know, Gandhi had this nonviolent uh, movement in India, and he changed the world, right? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. in the United States had this nonviolent, peaceful uh, way of, of uh, creating change. And it came from this place of love. He had to choose love over uh, hate because hate was too big of a burden to bear. And, and by the way, I do recognize that white people quote Martin Luther King Jr. way too often and we don't talk about you know, a lot of other people who said some very smart stuff. So I acknowledge that. But having said that, you know, he was able to change the world through peace and love. And I think that I would love to see um, the people who want to see a new world to go about it in a way. And I, and I am not here to tell other people how to protest, right? If you shoot my son, I will probably burn your town down, right? So I get that people are angry and outraged and they're doing all this stuff out of a sheer passion and it is you know, understood, right? Um, and I want us all to find a way to just come together in love, uh, and, you know, d let's just say, you, I don't agree with you, you don't agree with me. You know, I, I was interviewed by somebody the other day, and he started telling me these things about how bad immigrants were. And, I, you know, I wanted to lash out back at him. 
and to say, you know, uh, how could you be so stupid? Basically, is what I wanted to say. Yeah. Uh, but but instead, I said, well, have you considered this? Or you know, is there is there this other position that maybe you haven't considered yet? Or what would you say to someone? Is that fair? If if this and he and I had a really good conversation because I remained calm. I spoke to him in love and we had a good conversation. So I, I would love to see more love in the world. I'd love to see us come together in ways that are peaceful and loving and kind and, and brilliant. Now, keeping in mind, I don't know what the world looks like when you air this episode because I'm not there. And I would still probably say the same thing that, that, you know, perpetual outrage uh, leads to cynicism and it depletes our energy. But when we look at the whole story and we, and we see each other as real whole human beings and we hold each other in esteem and in love, I think we can find ways to build bridges. So if you, if you had that magic wand, Miwa, I would love for you to just wave it over us and help us to, to go to our higher selves, to our better natures, to our better angels. Indeed, yes, I'll get my cosmic powers. I, unfortunately, <laughs> I, I can't use ones. Uh, slight sort of trademark infringement. Bloody J.K. Rowling. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I can't use wizard staff token. No. But you know what okay. I mean? But yeah, yeah I'll get on that cosmic power front by all means. Yes. <laughs> uh, I feel it, brother. I feel it. Excellent. Would you be a like? Could you tell the lovely people out there how they can find you uh, on yeah. the webs? Yeah. So um, the only trick is my last name is spelled with one L. So L O Y D is Lloyd. So it's T O N Y L O Y D dot com. Uh, and if you start there, you can find me everywhere else. I am, you know, usually Tony Lloyd on every social media um, that you can find. One exception is I am Anthony Lloyd uh, with one L again on Instagram, but I'm Tony Lloyd social entrepreneur on Facebook. I am Tony Lloyd at, uh, uh, at Tony Lloyd on Twitter. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Tony Lloyd, you know, so they can find me TonyLloyd.com. And then from there, they can find everything else that I have. Ah, superb. I'll put that all in the descriptions of the show notes. And yes, I'd like to say uh, thank you, uh, Tony, for coming on today. You are a superstar. A pleasure <laughs> to have you, sir. Ah, all right. Absolutely. And I'd like to say thank you uh, to you all, my friends, my life warriors. I'd like to say stay well, stay safe, be awesome, be excellent, be fantastic, be all the positive bees you can be in this world and then some. Have a great day, people. Peace. Ah, and we are...